When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Lance Reisland will be uh, back on the pod here coming up in the second half. He's going to break down what he saw in that game against the Titans. I actually gave Lance a challenge as well. Uh, so we're going to I'm going to ask him about that. He texted me that he figured it out. So uh, that's coming up in the second half of the podcast. So I'm excited about that. I don't know what what he came up with, but let's start here. Uh, let's set up the week ahead. Big week, Baltimore Ravens with the storylines or the things, whatever, wide open, what we're kind of watching for, what we're kind of looking for this week. Mary Kay, what do you have? Well, wait a minute. First, I want to know what challenge you gave to Lance. (laughs) Okay, I guess I can say what the challenge was. I just seem to notice that against Pittsburgh and the Titans, the Browns really seem to be attacking the sidelines really aggressively. So when I sent Lance, like the three things we could talk about, I added that in as like a fourth thing. Like, Hey, I noticed this. Is it, am I, is this real or am I just making things up? And he said, Oh, that's a great challenge. I'm going to watch it again. And then he texted me a little later in the day and he said, I, I got an answer for you, but I told All him to right. wait. I didn't want to hear it till we got to the podcast. So very there we good. Go. Well, that, that's exciting. That will be coming up. Um, okay. Well, one of the things that I'm thinking about surprise, surprise as we head into Ravens week is the return of Jadavian Clowney. And how is this all going to go? We all know how things ended with Jadavian Clowney in Cleveland. Um, And I just so happened to be a part of that. And I don't want to make myself part of the story, but unfortunately I am part of the story uh, because he kind of vented to me about how he was unhappy with his role last year. And one of the reasons why it is significant is because it was in the Ravens game last September, about a year ago, when he refused to play anything but third down. He found out as the game began that he got switched over to Ronnie Stanley's side and he was going to have to try to hold off the Pro Bowl left tackle and that he felt they were giving Miles a more favorable matchup so that that he could... Uh, you know, get some sacks and, you know, and disrupt Lamar and, um, and, you know, and get the job done. So, you know, that was just the beginning. And as we came, you know, to find out, Jadavian just wasn't happy all season long. And finally, towards the very end of the season, he was finally ready to talk about it. And he sort of went off. I mean, he did go off. He went off. And as he was getting started, I stopped him. We've ta- I've talked about this a little bit on a, on the pod before, but um, just to revisit it a little bit, I stopped him and I said, well, wait a minute, are you okay with me writing this? Because it was, you know, controversial and strong. And he was like, yes, I want people to know this. I want people to know why I only have two sacks this season. Um, and at that same time, the headline on the story is something like, 
Jadavian Clowney says there's, you know, 95% chance that he's gone and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, the gist of the story was that, um, you know, that he felt that they were giving Miles the more favorable matchup at the expense of him. And he was not happy about that. And it, it really colored his whole entire season because he just remained an unhappy person throughout the whole entire year. Lo and behold, when I wrote the story, and you guys know firsthand that I toned it down as much as I could um, while still getting the gist of the story across, um, that story caused him to get, um, you know, basically whatever, suspended, benched for the final season, for the final game of the season. And, um, and lo and behold, he's, he's gone. And where is he? He's with the Baltimore Ravens. But the funny part about it is the day that he did rant to me, and I think I told you guys this at the time, was that he was talking about the fact that he he thought he might end up in Baltimore uh, because he had his former Houston defensive coordinator, defensive line coach over there uh, who really, really likes him a lot. And um, lo and behold, here he is now. He is with the Baltimore Ravens. And I have to go watch their previous game. Um, but there was one, the one game that I watched, he was all over the place and having a pretty nice game. So I think he's rejuvenated. I think he's got his uh, happy legs back. And um, as Wyatt Teller mentioned when we talked to him yesterday, that this is a revenge game for Jadavian. And I, I kind of think it is that. So um, that's definitely something I'll be watching this week. So, Ashley, some numbers from Jadavion this season. Uh, he's played in all three games. He's played 60%, 78%, and 58% of the Ravens' snaps, so he's playing a good amount. He's got a sack and a half. He has five quarterback hits, and on PFF, he is currently leading the Ravens with 13 pressures. They've had some injury issues. Um, they, I mean, just like Baltimore always does, they already have injury issues, but Jadavion's, so Jadavion has sort of benefited from that a, a little bit as far as leading the team in, in pressures. But, you know, I agree with Mary Kay, and I have not gone back and watched this Colts game yet either. Uh, I was planning on it, but I just haven't gotten to it yet today. So um, I don't know exactly what he did on Sunday, but I'm with the game that I did watch. I did see Jadavion Clowney. You did hear his name, and, and you noticed him. And if you go back to his first year in Cleveland, it was sort of like that too. Even if the sacks didn't come until later in the year, you did notice Jadavion Clowney. You saw he was there. So you know, he's, he's going to be coming here with something to prove. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, I haven't watched that Colts game either. I did watch, I'm assuming the game that we watched was the Cincinnati game because they played against them last Sunday. So we did not have a game to cover ourselves since we were waiting for the Monday night game. Um, and he looked good in that game and he did get a sack in that game. And it looks like according to PFF, um, on Sunday, he had a sack. He had six total pressures. That's the most he's had in a single game this year. Um, four hurries, one hit, along with the sack that they credited him with. So, yeah, I mean, I think, like, I'm glad you brought that up, Dan. Like, it does kind of remind me so far of how 2021 went for him, where, you know, then he came to Cleveland. He felt like he wasn't being used correctly. He had the injury issues. He had made like, you know, kind of random stops here and there. Um, I think with Seattle at one point, am I remembering that right? Where he played, I think the year before yeah. Cleveland and then the Titans. Um, so it felt like he found a home then and he was happier here and the sacks did come and he hit those incentives in his contract and it was great. But then 
it kind of transpired. They're kind of unraveled a little bit. And I think maybe that's just the Jadavian clowny experience at this point. Like, he's going to be happy in a place. But, you know, I don't know. I'd be curious to see how it works out long term, especially given his age and some of the younger edge rushers the Ravens have. But, yeah, I think this is... This is, I think, when he might look the best he's going to look with the Ravens right now. And I think that is kind of, that's a tough assignment when he looks like, you know, that former first round, first overall pick. Yeah, this should be fun. We'll see if he talks this week. He's not a big media guy, but we'll see if the the Baltimore media is able to track him down and see what he has to say. Um, and you never know, he might kind of just play it cool, but I, I don't know, Jadavion can't really help himself (laughs) when he does talk he loves to talk so um yeah go ahead mary Kay. yeah i'm curious i'm very curious uh to see if he will say anything about how things ended and what he will say because uh as you guys remember and some others might remember a statement was put out on his behalf that you know that he was taken out of context and he said he ended up apologizing to miles and his family um but you know, that statement was not put out by Jadavian. That statement was put out by a publicist. And if he had to recite that right now, I don't know that he could. Um, but um, it'll be very interesting to see if he, what I think he should do, if he says anything at all, I think he should just own what he said is what he should do. Because that's what, um, you know, that's what a, a, a true professional does is that you own what you say and you just live by it. And you and you move on from there. So I would love him. I would love to see him take uh, the high road here and say, I was frustrated last year. I expressed my frustration. I knew I was going to be gone and I'm happy to be here in Baltimore. You know, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, I said what I said, but it's in the past. We're on. We're on to Cleveland. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> right. Ashley, what are you watching this week? Yeah, so I think the last few years against Baltimore, there is one player in particular that we've talked about on this defense a lot, and um, I actually have a newsletter coming out about this tomorrow. I think I'm really curious to see how JOK is going to look in this game, because I think in the first two years of his career, you know, even as he's dealt with kind of the, the weird injuries and things like that, he's looked at his best against the Ravens, and I think you really see him at his best in those games because of his sideline to sideline ability, the way they can kind of use him to almost shadow Lamar. Um, at least that's what, how we saw Joe Woods use him in that scheme. So I think what's interesting though, is I've looked at some of his numbers in that game. He has 25 total tackles against the Ravens, two quarterbacks hits last year in that game in Baltimore. He forced that key fumble that ended up keeping the Browns in the game and gave them a chance to tie it at the end with a field goal. And of course they didn't. Um, but I, all, so far what we've seen in how he's worked in Jim Schwartz's scheme is maybe the numbers aren't exactly coming for him, but he's doing some good things. And for as much as I'm watching the D-line, I think when I've gone back and rewatched the games, you see him. Like, you know, it, it's kind of hard to miss him. The way he moves, he just kind of has that energy. And he's, you know, he's jumping around. He's flying around out there. On Sunday against the Titans, he made a really good play before that sack, the play before the sack that Miles and Oboe got together. Um, he basically like set a pick on a couple of the offensive linemen and occupied them. And that allowed those two guys to get to Ryan Tannehill. So he's doing some good things like that. Jim Schwartz has him moving around. He's played in the box. He's played in the slot. Uh, he's played on the line so far. Um, even like one random snap at corner PFF credited him with. So I, I think he's put on the extra weight in this offseason. This is always a good matchup for him. And I'm curious if this is going to be the game where he just kind of jumps out now. 
Yeah, Mary Kay, we spent a little time on the linebackers in the, the Ham K pod on Tuesday. And, you know, JOK has made like at least like one kind of splash play every single week. And then I, I think against Tennessee, I noticed him more in that game than I have other games. So you're seeing him start to progress in this. And we've talked about like, this is a guy who should be able to thrive in what Jim Schwartz wants his linebackers to do, which is play downhill, cover kicks, essentially just go, go and get the football when the defensive line creates those holes. Yeah. You know what? Just in the early going here, JOK looks like a different player to me in this Jim Schwartz scheme. He looks like he understands where he's supposed to be and when he's supposed to be there. He knows his run fits. He doesn't look lost. There have been times in the past where I felt he just looked a little lost in space. And he doesn't look like that to me anymore. The lights are coming on for him. And remember uh, linebackers coach, coach Jason Targer talking about Sione Takitaki last year and how he just looked like He knew what he was doing. And he said, you know, eventually this is what will happen with a player like JOK. Well, I think the lights are really coming on. And I think they're coming on quickly. And that's when you start to play really fast and you're able to use your speed. Now, health has been an issue with him, of course. But right now, he's healthy. So hopefully he'll stay that way. But for the most part, he looks like he's playing more instinctively and faster and he's making plays. And once he gets even more comfortable and confident in this scheme and in his surroundings, that's when I think you're going to start to see the impact plays. That's when you're going to see the sacks and the forced fumbles and the interceptions. I think you're going to see some really big plays from him coming up at some point this season. But for now, uh, I hope that, that Browns fans are enjoying watching him sort of emerge as, as a good playmaker. Okay, so I'm going to use something here that this might kind of be a weeks-long thing because I, I think the bye week is really when they're going to be able to sit down and figure this out. It's, I think this was hard to do on a short week. Um, but I want to see the evolution of how they use Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt. Uh, because that was one one of the reasons I haven't watched the Colts um, Ravens game is I went back and watched a bunch of offensive snaps and I just wanted to kind of see what they were doing with Jerome Ford uh, because he played 40 snaps, but he only carried the ball 10 times. Wasn't super effective. Um, he did have a long run of nine yards, but he, he had 18 yards and then Kareem Hunt carried the ball five times and, and obviously was a little limited in, in what he could do because he showed up on Tuesday and, and didn't practice for the first time with this team until Wednesday. So I want to see how those two evolve together and sort of, I, I almost wonder if there's like a scenario where like Jerome Ford almost takes on the old Kareem Hunt role and Kareem Hunt takes on the Nick Chubb role. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they really want Jerome Ford to be that guy, but it felt like on Sunday they didn't get real creative with Jerome. They were really kind of pressing to get the ball to Elijah Moore in different ways. And Jerome just spent a lot of his time lined up in the backfield. Didn't do a ton of different things, honestly. Now, he did have the receiving touchdown when he lined up out wide, and I think there's more there. So I just want to see how this run game evolves. Now that you don't have a short week, you're going into this week, you know it's going to be Jerome Ford and um, Kareem Hunt and then a little bit of Pierre Strong. How are you going to kind of use those guys and, and deploy those guys? Because I think, I honestly think just lining up Jerome Ford in the backfield every play is kind of wasting what he brings to the table. 
So that that's kind of one thing I'm watching here, Mary Kay, but it's also something that's going to develop, I think, especially over the bye week. They're going to really sit down and figure out how to do that. Yeah, I think this is a work in progress. I think they're going to have to figure out how they want to accomplish the running game. How do they divvy up those reps? How do they divide up those roles? Is there something more that Pierre Strong should be doing? Uh like you said, should they flip-flop some of Jerome and Kareem's roles in some way? Um, but the thing to think about with, with Jerome is that I think that a team like the Ravens will probably try to prey upon his inexperience just in terms of trying to confuse him with uh, some blitzes and things like that, that, you know, that they want to give him maybe a little bit more than he can handle or something to think about. And, you know, I think that, you know, people are probably going to have to be a little bit patient with him in the running game in particular, uh, because once again, I mean, he missed most of training camp. This is all new to him. And, uh, you know, it might take a little while for him to, to get up to speed. But I do think they will continue to accomplish the running game by committee, not just Kareem and Jerome, but Elijah and Deshaun as well. And I do think it's very interesting to see where this will go with Jerome. Um, you know, he's establishing that he's really good in terms of being a receiver out of the backfield. And now he has to go and prove that he can make those really tough yards against a very stout defensive front. Yeah, and we've talked about this. I think we might have talked about it in the post game after the Pittsburgh game. I, I feel like Jerome is going to be like a boomer bust back. I think he's going to have a lot of like one yard carries, two yard carries. But then you're waiting for that 30 or 40 yard run like he had in Pittsburgh, that 69 yarder. Um, but when you bring in Kareem Hunt, Ashley, now you have a guy that can legitimately run between the tackles and do that over and over again. So I just think defining those roles and figuring out how they want to use those guys. And they are, you know. Again, rewatching that Tennessee game, they are trying really hard to make this Elijah Moore thing happen, and they're going to yeah. continue to do that. So they, they just sort of have to sort all of that out and figure out what they want to do with it. Yeah, and two, I mean, everyone get your drinks ready because I think Kareem Hunt has only been here for a week now. So they do kind of have to ramp him up still a little bit, even though I think Kareem came in in great shape. Like we've talked about, you, you notice it, but I do think like – especially with his recent history of soft tissue injuries. Like you don't want to put too much of a load on him in his first game back. So I do think this is like a multiple weeks long process. And, and we've talked about this, like no one person can replace what Nick Chubb brings. So I do think like you have to figure out what these guys do really well individually, what they can give you. And you can't over rely on like any one of them. Like you can't over rely on Elijah, Elijah Moore in the run game, for example. Right. And you can't over rely on Kareem too early when he just came back. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a trial and error of what Jerome is going to do really well. You know, I thought that that touchdown he had that route he ran was really nice. When I rewatched the game, I remember thinking it in real time, but even rewatching it, it stood out. So he can do things like that, but yeah, I definitely think like it would be interesting to kind of see Kareem almost flip flop in those roles. Like I definitely think it's possible as the season goes on. There's one more thing I think we need to do an honorable mention. Let's now, do it. I I don't know yet because I'm just getting into studying the Ravens and what is their latest info. Um, but I think we have to mention Odell Beckham Jr. playing for the Ravens. Now, he was inactive against the Colts. I don't know if he's playing in this game or not. Um, but if he is playing in this game, 
I, I think that that could have a huge impact on this game because he will be coming in here with a lot of attention, a lot of eyes on him. Uh, you know, it's just, it's Odell Beckham Jr. And especially if he brings Kim Kardashian to the game, right? I mean, you know, we could have a, a Tavis on our hands. That's my name so far for Taylor and Travis. Um, I'm sure everybody else has coined that too, but I'm taking credit for it. Anyways, um, so, you know, it's Odell. And, you know, that's that's going to be a big storyline this week if he, in fact, is playing in this game. Kim Dell Swift? Kim, Kim Dell. Kim oh, Del. yeah. I, I, Kim I, I, I coined that earlier, too. Kel I texted Swift. that, I think, you guys. Yeah, Kel, Kel Swift. Kel Swift. Um, but it is Tavis. Tavis. Tavis just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Ashley's the expert on this. We'll let <laughs> we'll let her make that that declaration. So the first game against Houston, it felt like they kind of struggled to get Odell the ball, right? They were really getting it to Zay Flowers a lot, and he's he's really good, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. Second game before Odell got hurt, it felt like they were kind of trying to get him a little more involved earlier in that game um, than they did in the in Week One. So. Yeah, if Odell's able to go in this game, obviously that's just another guy coming back um, who hopefully we'll get to hear from him too. So, Ashley, your first week on the job here was like Odell week or your second week, whatever it was like. Odell week was right there when you first started. So your time at Cleveland.com is very closely tied to Odell Beckham Jr. It's just like the irony of like the two players who have had well, I don't know. I, I guess we can call Baker's exit also kind of dramatic because of like the notes app goodbye before they even like knew they had Sean Watson coming here. Um, but I, I think still like having lived through all three, the Odell and Clowney exits were particularly dramatic and almost out of a telenovela. And that that's just something I'm always going to remember. So ironic that both of those guys are on the same team and that team just happens to be the Baltimore Ravens given all their history there. And also I wonder like are we going to hear about the the Browns firing Bill Belichick in this game or no that typically comes up with the Patriots because it is the Ravens that actually technically yeah. did that. But that that's all yeah, the storyline whenever they play the Patriots or the Ravens it feels like it was the Ravens, and sometimes, but sometimes, if I want to make our our boss Scott Pats go mad, I'll I'll mention that the Browns were going to fire him. It's just they moved before they had the opportunity. So, however you want to say it. All right, uh, that'll do it for this segment of the podcast. Lance Reisland is going to come up next and tell us what he saw in the Titans game. Mary Kay and Ashley, I will talk to both of you later. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. As promised, I am now joined by Lance Reisland. Lance, how are you today? Dan, it's good to be back, man. It's good to be back. All right. Well, let's look. Let's get right into it because I know you're uh, you're itching to talk some football here. So uh, I did mention off the top that I had given you an assignment. I had given you a challenge. You met the challenge, but we're going to save that until the very end. Let's just start here. There's so much fun to get into in this game. And I think when you talk about this football team and you talk about this defense, the, I mean, the real fun, kind of where everybody's focus has been that defensive line. So tell us what you saw from that unit on Sunday when they just made life miserable, not just for Ryan Tannehill, but for Derrick Henry too. 
Well, you talk about the defensive line. So now you can even start from the back end. So you can see what that defensive line does for the secondary in terms of coverage and making them throw the ball quick. You can see what it does for JOK and that second level people. I know you and I had talked about Delpit being down in the box. I thought he was at home this week down in there a bunch. But that defensive line, their ability to play multiple positions. And, you know, Zadarius Smith playing that three technique, they also moved Oboe into the three technique because he's so active in there. And even though he's undersized, they're just blowing gaps. And it is um, – so they're penetrating, but there's a there's a method to what they're doing. But more importantly, they're down in – you know, I watched 15 snaps in a row, and you know exactly what covers they're in. You know exactly what front they're in. They're just really good at it because they're playing 100 miles per hour. And when you play fast in football, whatever level it is – uh, you you have success. And what that D-line is doing is they're causing such havoc in the backfield. You know, I like to say they pass rush to stop the run. You know, in offensive defensive line, there's a – I always say there's a dance. The offensive lineman does this. The defensive lineman does this. The defensive lineman does this. The offensive lineman – so they all have these counter moves. The Browns have thrown the dance out the window. They just get upfield and they penetrate and they play super fast. And it's real fun to watch. And it really seems to play into everybody's strengths, too. I mean, like, Miles Garrett seems like he's playing more free and, and just having fun out there. You know, we've seen it with Cesarius. I think Oboe, that really fits kind of his vibe, too. Like, just playing free, having fun, not thinking all the time. It just feels, it just looks and feels like these guys are playing really free right now. Well, you know, and you got to have gap integrity in the NFL. Regardless of how good you are defensive line, you got to cover A through D gap, and you got to be good in the secondary. You got to cover all levels. And even though they're upfield and they play with a lot of freedom, there's a lot of method to the madness. They are they are in control of their gap. Now, how they control that gap is a little bit different than we've seen in the past. They're not too gap and they're not getting their hands on. They're kind of going through shoulder and they are just saying, this is my gap and I'm getting upfield. And I just think it's amazing that not only do they cause such havoc in the pass game, but they're really messing up the run game. That's why you're seeing those linebackers run free because they can't get off double teams. They can't get out and around on the pin and pull series that everybody runs now. It is just causing mayhem. If you look at the snap, if you watch from, if you just take the first six to eight snaps and you watch the line of scrimmage and you take one, you know, one second and you look, it's they're three yards deep, all four of them on every single play. And that's hard to run an offense when that much penetration is happening by the defensive line. We talked to Miles on Friday and he met, it seems like Pittsburgh is a really tough matchup for him because the way he talks about it is they really chip him. They really go at him hard. Um, so certainly he was happy to not be playing Pittsburgh this week. And it showed three and a half sacks, one sack of his own, one sack short of his own team record that he set against the Bears a few years ago. Why was Miles able to have so much success in this game outside of the fact that he's just a physical freak? Well, first and foremost, you win with players, players over plays. We always say that. So he is a physical freak. But what you get now is you get you have those guys inside and he's finding matchups. And that's why Oboe was inside. They must have liked that matchup against the guard. So you get all these guys. So now when you talk about him getting chipped all the time, well, now you can move him inside to the three technique a little bit. It still has Darius Oba outside. And then the other guy, whoever the two are there, the other guy can be on the other side. So it's hard to chip him when you're inside. So as a pass protection, you know, if he's at the five technique, always at the weak side, quarterback's blind side, you can chip him. You can put your tight end there. You can always slide to him. You can slide away if you like your back in protection. There's so many different things you can do. Uh, now he's everywhere. So I think he's having success because they have to be pretty vanilla in their pass protection because there's three guys. And, you know, Dalvin Thompson, you know, he doesn't get a lot of credit, but he pushes that pocket as well. Even though he's not on an edge and a sack guy, he's 
pushing the pocket, which is really hard for a quarterback as well. Uh, as well, so you get you get the three guys, and then you get Dalvin Thompson pushing. Hurst is, has some great push. Um, you know, Shelby Harris is great against the run, but he also creates great push. I think the key is is there's multiple guys who can do multiple things, and it's hard to game plan. If he's at the edge, you can chip him a little bit, but then you're leaving other people, and that's what you're seeing is that he's not always getting there, but other people are, and they're causing havoc in the in the backfield. How different is this pass rush from last year? I mean, just how, what do you see? Like, why is it so different this year from last year? Is it, is it as simple as Jim Schwartz in the scheme? Yeah, you know, it, is, it really is. Well, yeah, obviously they got better players. They got some really high-level players uh, besides Miles, and they got some guys with experience. Uh, so they understand down and distance and what play is coming and footwork. So, But the big thing is, is they're not two-gapping. So they're not really, you know, they're not worried about the run and the pass. So, you know, if you think about a defensive lineman's first down last year, they're going to be in that three technique. If he gets double teamed, he's got to turn into it or get moved. They're not saying any of that now. They're saying, I'm in charge of B gap or I'm in charge of a C gap outside. And whatever I got to do, if they're running the ball, I'm going to run into it. If they're passing the ball, then I've gotten upfield for the pass rush. So the scheme itself allows these guys just to turn it loose. And the freedom when they, you know, you've heard him say, I've heard him with you. Uh, personally say the freedom they get. Well, the freedom they get is they don't have to read everything. They don't have to read the reach block or the double team or the pass set. They're just coming and they're making the offensive lineman react to them. And if it's a run play, you'll see it all the time. And JOK does it all the time where they're just, I sent you guys a text with JOK set it up for uh, oboe on the sack. They're just coming with reckless abandon in those gaps. And what that does is it, it causes mix-ups and, and the linemen don't know who to get. And you can't get to the second level because they're not at the line of scrimmage. They're three yards deep. Okay, you touched on it a little bit. Let's really dig into that that back end of the defense now and those defensive backs. Uh, Denzel Ward, having a great year. Martin Emerson, having a great year. Grant Delpit, having a great year. Uh, Juan Thornhill missed the first game. He's done a nice job, though, in the two games that we've seen. What is this secondary? And obviously, this marries with the pass rush, too. What has allowed this secondary to be so good? You just said it. The first thing without question is defensive line because you win on both sides of the ball. You win up front. And they're winning up front. So what that does is it makes the, the the timing of the quarterback all speeds up. His clock speeds up. And when it speeds up, they can sit on short routes. They can sit on hot routes. They can sit on slants and outs and, and things like that. And they they don't give up the easy underneath routes, the crossing routes, because it's a challenge. And, and they're in man coverage. And when you're in man coverage, it's basketball. It's you versus me. Uh, they're not worried about zone. They've played a couple zone coverages, but they got beat. The week before when I wasn't with you guys, they got beat because they were in a zone, and, and I think Delvin came up. But they know who they have, and it's very simple. But being simple allows you to play fast, like we said, and it marries with, the, like you said, it goes back to the front. They know they understand that the front's going to get covered, uh, going to get pressure, so their coverage can be tighter because the ball has to come out quicker. So, And if they hold it, you get a sack, and that's what you see. So they're, it, it, they tie in perfect with that defensive line. Again, is this just more of like this, what they're doing now just seems to fit the personnel better um, as opposed to what we saw last year? Well, you know, you can look at a couple of guys. You can look at JOK. He's had great talent, and we've said that for a couple of years now. Uh, but, yeah, you can see him now. He gets to run around and make plays, and it's not as simple as that, but it really is because he's cleaning up for what the defensive line does. And I remember you saying it's like it's like covering kicks, and it really is. They're just finding holes and going that second level, and Delpit's down in there, and he can do a bunch of different things. I think a great example of – the progress they're making in the scheme is Alex Wright. You see him much more aggressive. You see him, and that that tentativeness doesn't come because he doesn't you know want to play. It comes or he's afraid or afraid to make a mistake. It's because he's reading the offensive lineman. 
Now he's not reading. He's just getting that big body in a gap, and that's easier to do, and he can make plays, and that's that freedom. It's not having to read so much and just being able to get upfield and play football. So when it comes to watching the coaches tape, I struggle watching DBs. That's one. I can never be a DB coach for a lot of reasons, but that's one of them. Um, Is Denzel Ward having as good a year as I think he's having? Oh, there's no question. And, you know, obviously, if you look back, I think, uh, you know, this is our second year being together. It's always been health with him. It's always, you know, it seems like it's always he's banged up or nicked up. But when he's when he's healthy, he's always played at a high level. But he's also, I think for me, it comes down to reps. So in a, in a session, so the Browns are off on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is kind of their work day. Saturday is kind of a walkthrough travel day, all that kind of stuff. So in reality, you only have a couple, two to three actual work days. So if you're playing man and zone, you are working tons of different techniques. So last couple of years, they've been working cover four, two high shell, uh, cover two, Tampa two. Uh, read for palms, all those things you hear, all those tag words, they're playing them all. Woods played them all. And I think they can be successful with the right personnel, but you have to rep that. So that's less reps and playing man coverage. So now those work days, these guys are working a little bit of zone, but they're basically working man coverage against the routes they're going to see from the receiver. So they get to say, I know I got you. I'm covering Dan. So, and he likes to run hitch, curl, slant, or whatever it may be. And they get to constantly rep it. So for me as a coach, they're just getting more reps in man coverage, and he's really good in man coverage, and they're getting more and more uh, reps in practice, and it's showing up in the, uh, on the game day. That's interesting. I've never thought about it like that. Um, and even going to training camp, right? I mean, there there aren't two-a-days anymore. They have a walkthrough in the morning, and then they have a practice in the afternoon. It's very strict how much on-field time you can have between those two things. And certainly now during the week, it's very strict how much on-field time you can have. You got your walkthrough in the morning, and then you have a real practice. But they're not on the field for four hours a day. You know what I mean? They they spend a lot of their times in the meeting rooms. They spend a lot of their day training, weightlifting, meetings, and just with the collective bargaining agreement the way it is, and the the game the way it is today, you're just not on the field as much as you used to be. Um, so that's an interesting point. I've never thought of it that way. Well, when you look at it, here's an example. So the, each week, you said, a very short work week. You Like you said, no doubles. They're in meetings a lot. So if you think about route combinations, what things do, you know, Todd Munkin's a lot different than Zach Taylor. And he's a lot different than, you know, the people they've played in terms of uh, scheme. They all are. They all have their little, their little n- nuances that they run. But it really doesn't matter to a DB now. So he doesn't have to go in a meeting and spend tons of time looking at a route combination out of different coverages. So if you think about one route combination, if you think about a, a smash, a, a corner route and a hitch, uh, a, a smash, very everybody runs it at every level of football. Well, they're in man coverage, but that's it's different if you're in cover two or cover four or palms. So if you have to work all those during a practice, maybe you get two or three reps, but now they're working smash. They're getting nine to 12 reps on just man coverage. And with reps, you win with reps. Even at the NFL, even though they don't have as many, those guys get better. And now all their individual drills are all man coverage. All their um, their run, you know, run game stuff, it's all man coverage. They play a little bit of off man, but it's still man coverage. And that really helps in prep. You're not working so much against the combinations. You're more working your, your technique against in man coverage, which is really, for these guys, is awesome. Let's talk some Deshaun Watson. Uh, probably his best full game. As a member of the Browns, it comes after a, a game when he was really under fire for his performance against the Steelers. 
uh, protected the football, uh, especially, you know, the Titans made it clear they were going to come after that football when they were pass rushing. So he protected the football in that regard, with the exception of that one wonky play where he threw it back to Elijah Moore. But they ended up scoring on that drive. So it it, it actually seemed like he got better after that specific play. Um, I felt like early in the game, he was kind of taking the profits a little bit. And then they started to expand as the game went along. What did you see from Deshaun that you liked? Well, the first thing I saw is that you, you saw some of that elusiveness in the pocket. So you saw him in a couple third and three. I remember a third and three. But you see that making that first pat, uh, first guy miss. Uh, you see him getting out of the pocket. You see him improvising a little bit. Um, you see him throwing from different arm angles. That all comes with reps and understanding where people are. And I think he's getting a much better understanding. But he also just looks like he's more comfortable. And again, we just talked about it with the DBs. Now he's repped this a bunch of times. And now he understands where people are going to be. And they're going to continue to get better at it. But the thing I like is that I thought he moved very well. I thought his feet were fantastic. Uh, I thought Kevin Stefanski did a great job of getting him in the rhythm. And there's certain things we're going to talk about a little bit that help you get in a rhythm. Uh, run game, what route you throw, who you throw the ball to. Um, I think they're doing a good job of that. And obviously, I, I think they game plan very well because, uh, you know, the touchdown to, to Ford, um, that's not a route they throw to Chubb. They ran a sluggo route, and he ran a great route against a linebacker, which tells you he's recognizing things, and it tells you that he liked that matchup, and they must have liked that matchup in film. So it kind of tells you that they like what they see, and they're getting more comfortable. But what I thought, I, 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 for me, you expect to make all those throws. His feet were really good, and he was elusive again. And he looked like he looked like a little heavy the week before. He looked elusive again uh, this week, which was good to see. Yeah, this was a game where it finally felt like he was seeing things. Um, it's felt early on, like even against Cincinnati, it felt like he just wasn't seeing it like we expect him to see. You get a little pressure on him. He starts to kind of panic a little bit, loses the feet. Um, and it just, he never looked comfortable. And I think, look, a lot of that comes down to the protection. Kevin Stefanski called it out this week. The protection was really good. The offensive line held up really well against a really good pass rush. Um, so I, it just, this game, you know, I, I wasn't ready to declare, declare him dead after the Steelers game. I'm not ready to declare him all the way back after this game. But it was a really positive step. And you saw some of the things, a lot of the things, that made him what he was in Houston. Well, yeah, you know, and when he – some of the things he missed against Pittsburgh or some of the mistakes he made, he, I still think he wasn't seeing it. And I don't think he's quite seeing everything yet. But he start, you can see him start anticipating and making throws, especially off, you know, off platform and all the stuff he can do really well. But – if you go back and watch that Pittsburgh game, there's a couple really glaring misses that he had because his head was down. And a lot of times when your head is down, you're not sure where your routes are and you're not sure what you're doing and you're a little bit worried about protection. But it really comes down to is that there's a million things going through an NFL quarterback's head for in about 1.6 seconds, 2.8 at most. So like he has a lot of things to process and I think he's starting to process that. And you can see uh, in the Pittsburgh game, some of the things he missed that he didn't miss, even though he had protection, He'll start anticipating because you don't always get great protection in the NFL, especially when they bring six and you know five and six and seven man pressure. So he's starting to see it. He's starting to anticipate. Once again, it's getting reps. It's seeing these guys. It's working every day, and, and he gets to do that now. So it's only I think it's only going to go be- get better and better uh, as we as we move on. Okay, it's time. So I uh, I texted you a thought I had while it going to the Pittsburgh game and in this game. It felt like the Browns in the passing game really were attacking the sidelines a lot in Pittsburgh. They missed on those are some of the throws Deshaun missed on, right? Just some absolutely awful misses in that Pittsburgh game today or not today, this week, 
he was hitting them against the Titans. But it feels like the Browns were really attacking the sideline in the passing game over the last two weeks. So did my eyeballs deceive me or is that really what's happening? And if so, why do you think that's happening? Well, you, no, they're not. And actually, I didn't pick up on it. It was a great pickup by you, but they are working outside. And two things happened. So I watched the last two weeks. I watched every throw um, when you said that. So I had been, I was done with watching that film. And then I came back when you said that, because it's something I didn't really notice either, just because you're, you're seeing protection and you're looking at a bunch of different stuff. So when you look at it, the first thing that happens is that the Titans did a really, really good job of covering their levels concept. So I go back to it. They covered it all. So, you know, we're off that naked boot. They like to run where you got a guy in the flat, guy on the second level, guy over top. The Titans were glue on every single levels route. So they did, that's kind of the Kevin Stefanski security blanket, that levels concept. People are starting to take that away. Well, they're still trying to figure out what they're how they're going to run things with Chubb and without Chubb and, and having new backs. So for me as a quarterback and a guy who tries to see what they're thinking, it looks like they're trying to take some of the field away from Deshaun Watson on some of his throws. So if you think about the safeties and the linebackers at those levels, when you're reading those guys, a lot of times they do different things. They roll, they go back, they come up, they robber, they lurk. You know, there's 7,000 tag words in the NFL with coverages. But if you get outside and it's a corner and he's soft, it takes every, it takes all other 10 guys away. And what that does is it allows you to have really good footwork because you know where you're going with the ball. So you don't have to adjust your footwork from one to two to three to four on your progressions. So I think, uh, and the Ford throw kind of proves it to me, I think Kevin Stefanski, who is a fantastic game plan, said, you know what, to get in rhythm, let's throw our levels concept. Well, people are picking up on that levels concept a little bit because they're not running the ball as much, and they won't run the ball as much without Chubb. They especially won't run that outside zone as much without Chubb, in my opinion. I could be wrong, but you kind of saw it coming. So when, what do you do that if you're covering your base is that you go to easy throws. So for me, that was an automatic. That's a gift. We used to literally call it gift. So if a corner soft, you don't have to worry about all the other 10 guys and the coverage and the rolls and the, the multiple blitzes and all that kind of stuff. It's just an easy hitch, comeback, curl. And that's what I think you're seeing is that it's getting him in rhythm. Uh, and yeah, I agree with you. There's a lot of throws outside the numbers, a lot of throws outside the hash because I think they're getting him in rhythm because it allows your footwork to be really, really solid because you know in your head, I'm not reading the coverage. I'm not reading if that backer's dropping. I'm not going one, two to three where you got, you know, you see him moving his feet in practice. We've all watched that. It's all done. So pre-snap, he gets a soft corner. He's got Amari Cooper or somebody out there. He's just taking it. And you see that a lot when they hit Najoku and those guys in the flat on their levels concept. It's an easy throw. It, you know where you're going with the ball regardless of the coverage. And I think they're getting soft coverage out there because I think a lot of times people, when they play the Browns, they play off because they need their secondary involved in the run support. And when you play tight man, you don't get as much run support because the eyes of the DB are on the receiver. So my answer is yes, I think you're right, but I think it's because they're getting him in rhythm and taking all other 10 guys out of the play and allowing him to make a simple, easy throw uh, with good footwork, anticipation, and confidence. And it helps when you have a guy like Amari Cooper who can win those one-on-one -on -one matchups. And also, you know, look, let's be honest, on Sunday, the refs were throwing flags for interference. So refs are going to throw flags for interference, throw the ball to Amari Cooper and see what happens there. You know, the Titans benefited from it and the Browns benefited from it. And so, you know, that, and actually it was a PI call after the, uh, the throw backwards that kind of got the Browns back moving a little bit offensively. So uh, they, you know, they were being aggressive down the field. And I think the fact that I mean, they trusted that matchup with Amari Cooper. And I also think they felt like 
if a guy's one-on-one with Amari, we're either going to get a catch or get a flag. And sometimes that's how you attack it. Well, if you think about confidence, so, you know, watching that, try to break down the coverage, especially on the touchdown, on, on the touchdowns they run. So you got man coverage because Al Zaire walked out with Ford. But then on the, the long touchdown to um, to Cooper, that was just a coverage bust. They were in cover four and no one bailed. But what that tells me is that he is sticking with what he sees. So he knows where the route's coming from. So he's kind of, even though, even though he knows Cooper should be covered in cover four, that safety should have ran, it tells you he's looking at who he should be looking at. If that safety doesn't be, that's the first read and let it rip. Because pre-snap, it shouldn't have been the throw. Pre-snap, it should be. And that's kind of what you get the indecision when you talk about reps and working stuff. So he now knows, that tells me he has complete uh, understanding what routes are coming and where they're coming from. And even though it was cover four, in his mind, he's catching that ball going, if that safety doesn't move, I'm throwing over the top. And that's what you got, which is also, I think, comes back to what your question was for me. That's because he had completed so many of those hitches and those outs to Cooper. And, you know, he doesn't have, when you see those outside throws, you don't have to worry about coverage. You're taking the receiver and the corner. And I think Stefanski did a great job. And going back to why I think it was Stefanski as well, it's because, uh, Nick Chubb's not running a sluggle route out at, at out at one on Zaire. He's not doing that. But they feel Ford can. So that tells me they like that matchup. They liked what they saw, and they were able to run that route. So that's a, that's a good thing. So I think, yeah, I think um, they're moving forward, especially in the pass game, and he's gaining a lot of confidence. I need to come up with an assignment for you every week. That needs to be my goal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, that is Lance Reisland. Uh, he'll join us every Tuesday and Thursday here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Get subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, find us on YouTube. Go to YouTube and search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. You'll find our channel there. And also follow us on Instagram, Orange and Brown Talk, uh, to stay connected to us there. Uh, for Mary Kay, Ashley, and Lance, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody.